Hello and welcome to the Conspiracy Theory Test. I'm Karen. I'm Yvonne. And it's great to have you back with us again for our ninth episode or tenth? This is number nine. Can you this believe it flew in? It does flew in. It did fly in like, oh, I can't get over it. Nine whole episodes of Anne. Go us. I know. It's pretty good going. We're definitely in it for the long haul now. I think so. I think lockdown has helped. <laughs> <laughs> and then it'll be a nice habit that we still have when we leave lockdown. Absolutely. Yeah. Although it would be nice to be able to record face to face again. That'd be great. I- can't wait can you believe that out of nine episodes we've only recorded one face to face i know it's like you're here with me I know. <laughs> it is a commitment to socialize during lockdown which i think everyone needs oh absolutely without having to break any restrictions or put yourself in danger so it's an added bonus yeah technology is great i'm sure if it's listening to us all the time <laughs> yeah so van how did we get on last week with the uh, re- re- episode reception was it good? Was it bad? What do we think? Oh, fantastic. One thing, it has mm. nothing to do with last week's episode, but um, I suppose it does. Claire, who is a big listener, um, sent me the best plot twist I've ever heard. That she thinks I'm a CIA agent listening in all along and I'm the least suspicious. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> The validity of that slowly, statement. <laughs> I'll slowly start dropping hints. I'll be wearing aviators and carrying a tiny notebook. And just like, is that what the earpiece is for every time I see it? <laughs> no, that's actually just me listening to our own podcast the entire time. Oh, that's that's fair. That's fair. That's that's how we get the listenership up, though. It's, it's you. Yeah. All those numbers are you. I'm my own biggest fan. Nothing new there. <laughs> oh, I'm a pretty big fan of yours too. <laughs> We've gone soft in lockdown. We really have. We really have. And hopefully we get to see each other again soon. In like three-ish weeks or two-ish weeks or however long. Hopefully, this goes on for. By that time we'll be full on into, like I'm already full on into Christmas mode. The minute, ha- the minute Halloween was done, I was like, let's go. Let's get festive. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not feeling quite festive yet. Are you not? Will you watch the toy show? Oh yeah, I always watch the toy show. That's how I get all the ideas for what I want for Christmas. But <laughs> <laughs> like genuinely, There's some of the toys. Control cars and stuff. <laughs> some of those remote control cars are deadly. They're better than my they actual are. car. Yeah, they're easier to drive anyway. Yeah, and of course me being me, I'm always, I love the book corner. I was sick and though. I watched it a few years ago and I've I've not quite forgiven RTE or Ryan Tuberty or any of them. But they had this kid on and he was like a big Harry Potter fan and, uh, you know, going on and on and on about how much he loves Harry Potter. So what did they give him? A first edition signed copy. And then what does he say? Oh, that's great. I've never actually read the books. Oh, stop. <laughs> oh, my God. My heart broke. And I mean, in hindsight, it's grand because J.K. Rowling is a whole other kettle of turfy fish. But like, True. I was so sickened. So I haven't actually quite forgiven RTE. I'm dying to see who they find in the canteen sitting around this year to, to pull out from their lunch break and have as guests. Why well, is that a thing? Did it just, like, since Dustin the Turkey is gone, he'll probably be back. With I just never forget back. the year we had Ed Sheeran on and then they immediately followed it up the year after with Dermot Bannon. Yeah, and they were like, ooh, Dermot Bannon. I was like, he was pure sitting around having a cup of tea and they were like, yeah. you got to have a spare there, Dermot. <laughs> Oh, go on, so toy show again, yeah. Grand. Oh, grand, yeah. It has. It doesn't feel quite the same without Dustin. I will give it. Or that. Gabo. Oh, Uncle Gay, love Gabo. Not that's how same. far back I'm going. Yeah, that's showing your age there. <laughs> <laughs> and come here, um, lest we be done for libel, which I definitely will be. But um, do we think that Ryan Tuberty is a lizard person? Um, he does have some lizard-like tendencies. Like, he's so famous. He is. And he's on everything. I think he's Illuminati lizard person, soul to soul to a vampire. He might well have. He could have. Him and, him and, Queen, him and the Queen have the same kind of broker or dealer yeah. in souls <laughs> and a, a, a eternal existence. But they got a good deal, both of them. Jesus, yeah. Like, unbelievably. They're going to outlive us all, essentially. Oh, definitely. The Queen, definitely. They Queen, really I'm, are. Just, I'm catching up on her and she's staying the same age I think so I think that's it absolutely 
Speaking of though, it's interesting that you should bring up living and dying or not dying. <laughs> yeah. Brings me on to my topic this week. Oh, excellent. What a segue. Thank you. I'm getting I'm getting real good at them. My training wheels how... are almost off, the old segue. <laughs> I love how broad we have to go. Like, oh, you mentioned living, dying, breathing. The person I'm going to talk about is doing all of those things. Has done, allegedly done all those things. Van, <laughs> stay with me in this week because this one's going all over the place. And I have to say, it came as a suggestion from our newest and, dare I say, biggest fan, my brother, my lovely brother, Stephen, who you've had the fortune of meeting. The great fortune of meeting. Hey, Stephen, thanks for listening. Yeah, and he's very impressed, and he suggested this. Ivan, these are the Hitler conspiracies. Oh, you know, it's going to be good. Oh, so we are focusing on a few different theories. Mainly, I got my uh, info from express.co.uk, thedailystar.co.uk, you know, it's going to be good. <laughs> Wikipedia, decryptedmatrix.com. I went, I went all in on this, and uh, I gotta say, it's, it's. There's a few, so I need you, Ivan, to get your Parker twenty eight twenty XLD Spore Cabin. We're going deep diving. Okay. <laughs> You've got very specific with your reference. I'm trying to get more and more specific each week. <laughs> all my Instagram ads are just for Scooby Gear now. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I have to find the name of a scoop equipment. <laughs> like I really, I'm like trying to make this as snappy as I can. The work that goes into this podcast is unbelievable. <laughs> we'll get sponsorship from them all. Amazing. That'd be great. Okay, so look, we're not going to focus too much on the background because like Adolf was a bad man, guys. Real bad. Yeah, if you don't know who Hitler was, uh, we are neither the authority nor have the time to explain who he was. But also, what rock have you been living under <laughs> that you don't know at least a bit about him? If you haven't heard of him, get in touch. I love hearing about people's blind spots. Uh, exactly. So one of the main theories I'm going to focus on, Ivan, is the so-called story of Hitler's death. Right. So history tells us that Hitler and his wife, Eva Braun, committed suicide in the Führer Bunker, which I think is actually a cracking name for a band. Oh, yeah. Führer Bunker. Oh, yeah. 100%. So, allegedly that they both uh, died by suicide on April 30th, 1945. But then, on the other hand, some claim that they actually didn't die at all and that they escaped to Berlin. Right. So, why is this conspiracy even a thing? Well, the evidence of Hitler's death in the bunker is not absolutely conclusive. In particular, there is a lack of photographic evidence, but the actual official term for that is pics or it didn't happen. <laughs> it is now, anyway. <laughs> it is now. Absolutely. Pics or it didn't happen, man. So, there's an abundance of testimony of others who claim to have seen Hitler alive after 1945. Oh. Mm, apparently. And then a lot of it also comes from propaganda from Stalin's own government. So the Soviets claimed that the charred body found at the site of Hitler's apparent death was a poor double for the actual Führer. Uh, Stalin himself actually claimed at a press conference that Hitler was alive and either living in Spain or Argentina. Then we get to the old skull fragments. Apparently skull fragments were found at the scene of his death and people presumed that obviously they were his. 2009 DNA tests on the skull fragments found near the bunker that were believed to be his turned out to belong to a woman. But did they belong to Ava Brown? I don't know. It just says a woman. I don't. They didn't specify whether it was Ava. But in I'll get into it later. But some of the t theories rec reckon that she actually did flee with him, so it might not have been her skull fragments either. That's fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. So, again, where did he end up? So some claim, um, like the authors of the book, The Grey Wolf, that Hitler fled to Argentina and then he ended up in Brazil. And apparently he fled Brazil and lived to the ripe old age of 95. It's good going. So, again, to add some kind of plausibility to this, he did loot the richest country in, countries in the world during the Second World War. So it would make sense that Eul Adolf had the funds to pull something like this off. That is true, yeah. Right. And then, Van, I'm going to bring up your friends and mine, the CIA. 
A declassified document uh, dated the 3rd of October 1955 highlights claims made by a self-proclaimed former German SS trooper, Philip Citroen, that Hitler was still alive and that he left Colombia for Argentina around January 1955. And this is a declassified CIA document, like an actual one. Yeah. God, is there anything juicier than a declassified CIA document? I don't know. And then I also found reports that uh, FBI reports that it went to that J. Edgar Hoover had seen documentation that stated he was alive and well and he ran it up the ladder uh, as we say in the biz world he ran it up the ladder and then nothing more came of it because they didn't think there was enough evidence wink wink nudge nudge oh yeah that's how they throw out all of these things because enough evidence is kind of subjective isn't it yeah totally now we get to the best bit or my favourite part of this right so you are the most renowned horrible dictator in the world <clears throat> and you're on the no, road. Not me personally. Not you personally. <laughs> you're quite lovely as a human being. I have found. A bad dictator. I don't think Go you're on. that much of a dictator. But <laughs> if you if you're on the run, right, you change your name. Yeah, I'm with you. Right. So what did he change his name to? Oh, I don't John Smith or something. Adolf Leipzig. Adolf. Like why do you keep Adolf in this situation? <laughs> why not change both names? I love the idea of them trying to um, learn their new names and he's just not answering to John any time. So like, just forget us, just keep Adolf, whatever. Like that episode of Mr. Si- or The Simpsons when they're trying to ch- tell him, hello, Mr. Thompson, I think he's talking to you. Yeah, that's what I was imagining, yeah. But also I love that he went to like Brazil, like South America, and then there's this German lad and they're like, Adolf, Ad- what's this? Adolf is in your mouth. No, 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 not that Adolf. I'm a different Adolf. <laughs> you know yeah sticking out like a sore thumb I hope he at least shaved the moustache well yes and again I'll send it on a photo he did shave the moustache and this is how again the theory got like you know legs and started to pick up and somebody like basically they tried to superimpose a tiny moustache on this photo <laughs> with this guy and they're like has to be him but like as if you can't just draw a tiny moustache on anybody and make them look like Hitler <laughs> Like primary school students have been doing it for years. <laughs> You're not clever. You're not clever at all. <laughs> so he changes his name to Adolf Leipzig, right? Because uh, I, as I said, the Adolf just isn't a giveaway. And he chose his last name because it was the birthplace of his favorite composer, Bach. So right. I'm just thinking the whole time, Leipzig, guess who's Bach? <laughs> Bach again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry I had to I really did have to oh it would have been a missed opportunity yeah, like I literally have it typed in my notes get his back back again <laughs> my favourite bit though he when he was in Brazil he was in a, a place called no, uh, Nossa Senhora de Lavramento um, and if Andrea is listening she will forgive my horrific pronunciation I'm sure but he was known to the 12,000 locals there as the old German I'm like, really sticking out as a sore thumb. Like how, like, German. not conspicuous, like, he's just, oh, c- conspicuous, like, you know what I mean? And then I just, I just have here, like, why is everyone just chill with him being there? That's the other thing. <laughs> well, I suppose, how do you, um, how do you call him out on that? There's nothing less, more problematic than walking up to the only German person in the town and saying, are you Hitler? You couldn't do that. <laughs> I don't know. I think you could. <laughs> that could be a new fun game we start playing just on the streets. Like, sorry, you Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> you start us and uh, record the reaction you get. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I can't record next week, you'll know what, what will have happened. Yeah. Okay. So, Simone Rene Guerrero Diaz uh, actually wrote a book called Hitler in Brazil, His Life and Death. So she actually claims that he was in the area and he was hunting for buried treasure using a map given to him by friends within the Vatican. Oh, it just goes deeper, doesn't it? I'm telling you, right to the top. I'm wondering like, if the Vatican gave, um, gave him that map and they were like, right, just leave everybody alone, off you pop, have some fun hunting treasure and we'll say no more about it. <laughs> and they are like... That's kind of their most operandi, isn't it? Okay, a giant cover-up. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure the, the Catholic Church are quite fond of an L cover-up, yeah. 
I was just going to say redeployment. <laughs> Very diplomatic of you, Evan. Yeah. For redeployment. <laughs> yeah. So she has linked um, the Fruiter's alleged arrival in the area to a Vatican offer of ownership rights over buried Jesuit treasure in a cave near his adopted home. So there you go. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> There's also, she goes on to say that an old nun spotted him in hospital that she was working at while he was awaiting a procedure and she was convinced it was him. So then she started like running amok and wanting him booted out of there and they were like, okay, he's an eight-year-old frail man. No. <laughs> and she was like, I forget myself. I do apologize. <laughs> you get to a certain age and you just get away with doing stuff like that, don't you? Absolutely. Do you though? I don't know. It doesn't make it okay. <laughs> I can't wait. He's around the 70 mark. I'm definitely going to start doing that. Just that's when you're going to come into your prime of just like giving out, or just... yeah, absolutely, and accusing like noisy neighbors of being uh, fleeing dictators. Oh, yeah, you never know, you never know, you never know who you're borrowing that cup of sugar from. That's why I'm never neither a borrower or a beggar be. There you go, wise words indeed, wise words indeed. So as well as this, the thing that makes me believe that he could have possibly fleed and maybe gone to South America is that's exactly what his henchmen, uh, Mengele and Eichmann did. They they oh, did flee yeah. to Brazil, do you know? And that makes me think that if they had that plan in place, why wouldn't he have that plan in place for himself? Absolutely. I wonder why they all went to Brazil. I don't know. I, I thought it was so weird that they all went, or I don't know if they all definitely went to Brazil, but they all definitely went to South America. Yeah, I have heard that, so... Now, further proof that he might be alive and still acting the maggot, as we'll say. <laughs> right? Here's where it gets really interesting. Not only was he still alive, he's responsible for the Gulf oil spill. Oh, big claims. Right? So I got uh, this information on... Fudzilla.com. <laughs> I got this information from, which is a great name. So... <laughs> He, he, the guy who wrote this for foodzilla.com references David uh, Ike's or Ike's website and it, he makes reference to the Gulf oil spill and that happened on uh, April 20th, 2010 and that was Hitler's birthday. Uh, the Gulf oil spill Hitler on, occurring on the birthday can easily be dismissed as a coincidence but that oil spill, that was the 111th day of the year that that occurred and as well um, in 2001, 9-11 occurred and that was the 111th day of that year. Okay. Yeah. Getting into numbers now, yeah. Right. Then, 27th of February 1933 was the night of the Reichstag fire. And that was one of the key events in the establishment of the Nazi dictatorship. And Richard Dolan referred to 9-11 when it happened as America's version of the Reichstag fire. And has detailed critical similarities between both events. So that's something else to consider. Yeah, then kind of it is kind of stacking up. Then the chief of the U.S. Uh, trial counsel at Nuremberg, Thomas J. Dodd, had actually said at the time, um, shortly after the Second World War ended, no one can say he is dead. Okay, bold statements, yeah. Right. Then we have a professor, Dr. Ryder uh, Sergenet, who was an oral surgeon from the dental faculty in California. He actually said that before his the end of the war, or i.e. Hitler's death, that he had actually ordered a special plane to leave from Berlin with all of his own medical and dental records, especially x-rays, of all top Nazis for an unknown destination. Right? And then, apparently, the dental records that were used to identify Hitler's body were drawn by memory, but by a dental assistant, who apparently disappeared and was never seen again. Oh my god. It's all kind of stacking up. Like, there's no coincidence. He wouldn't have asked for his records for no reason. But, Ivan, here's where I throw my own theory into the mix. Can't wait. They're the best ones. I don't think he went to Brazil. I think he went to the moon. That is so much better. <laughs> I think he was on the moon. And I mean, this it's brings out me, there. This brings me to my other theory. 27 years before the Apollo 11 mission, Nazi scientists went to the moon first. Oh, it's a whole soap theory. It's a whole, it's theories on, the, it's like a theory lasagna. Yeah. If you will. Delicious. Yeah. Delicious with every bite in every layer. <laughs> so, 
that there was actually, so apparently there was a Nazi spaceman who actually took the first steps on the moon. Uh, that was after he was able to travel there after using a rocket that was developed by Hitler's top scientists. So Bulgarian researcher Vladimir Tersiski claims to have evidence of the Reich's successful missions to the moon. So he was an engineer and a physicist, and he actually states that the Germans developed a space program with their World War II allies, the Japanese. Right. Right. And one of their top guys within that was Hans Kimmler, and he allegedly fled after World War II to a bunker in Antarctica. And fellow conspiracists claim that they found the bunker or the Nazi base buried beneath the ice. Oh, that's a bold statement. Also, and you're going to love this, conspiracists also claim that the UFO sightings that you love so much that began in the 40s and 50s were actually newly developed Reich craft being tested. Suck it, Ivan, is what I have oh written God. down. I'm not even angry. If the UFO sightings turn out to be Nazi space experiments, that is just as good. It's just uh, as bizarre. I'm apparently Hitler was mad for aliens, totally believed in them. Oh, that's hopefully that's the only thing we have in common. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> I, having met you and not him, I would think that might be the only thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a bit of reassurance. <laughs> so, again, alleges that the Nazis landed on the moon as early as 1942, right? Um, and apparently, then a quote I have is: "Ever since their first day of landing on the moon, the Germans have started boring and tunneling under the surface, and by the end of the war, there was a small Nazi research base on the moon." And is this why they would have kept their um, space expedition quiet? I think, yeah, I think so. You know, because they want, you know, you need to have that power over someone. So Colin Summerhays then actually published a 21-page report disproving the existence of a Nazi base in the South Pole. Boo! But Party pooper. I think the Nazi space program actually in and of itself was genuinely a thing that happened behind the scenes. Right. And not only yeah, that, I, I think it actually, and a lot of people would, would claim it contributed in a huge way to the actual US Apollo mission. Oh, right, contributed to the space race, like, yeah, the yeah. same way the Russians did. Yeah, so Reich rocket scientists did dream of a space program which would, would one day take them to the moon. And then, of course, they a lot of top, you know, Hitler's top scientists were scooped up in a top US mission called Operation Paperclip. Oh, I love Operation Paperclip. I only found out about it when I was uh, researching Flatwoods Monster. Yes, and so we did mention it. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, then a lot of them were like a lot of the top scientists were kind of scooped up by the US um, in that in that operation. Okay, bit of crossover. Exactly. So a team of top Nazi minds were shipped to the US, and they were used then to help the US beat the Soviets in the space race. So. They did, uh, and again, the Nazi scientists did actually have advanced weapon technology and developed, as I call them, mad scary V1 and V2 rockets. Well, they did famously have a lot of um, scientific uh, breakthroughs because they completely discarded ethics. So that is just known. Which, you know, makes sense, I guess. Yeah, and one of their top uh, guys in it, Werner von Braun, was it? he was actually an SS major, but his, his main passion was space travel. So oh, again, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. So the scientists and technology captured actually kind of became the foundation or the backbone of the US space program, which nearly landed uh, Apollo 11 on the moon. And then a lot of people, some of the articles that were reading about this, they kind of, they try and make out that Von Braun himself was actually a victim of his circumstance. That he actually, like, as in he didn't really want to be an SS major. He was more interested in being involved in the science kind of aspect okay okay this was just kind of his way in yeah 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 absolutely so as i said they developed so many ufos and hitler was a big old fan of aliens that i actually reckon he himself hitler went to space and especially now that you say well i suppose the moon's massive anyway but uh if they're kind of burrowed down underground and on the moon why Neil Armstrong, if he was there in the first place, another episode is that though, um, didn't run into them. I suppose so. It's not exactly the size of like 
one gap. <laughs> no, it's, anyway. I'm pretty sure the moon's <laughs> real big. So I guess, Ivan, I'm asking if you believed they put Dictator on the moon. That was a ride from start to finish. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't just do one. I was like, I have two loads. Get them all in there. That was that competes with the Jim Morrison episode for my favourite one. Really? You reckon? Yeah, that's so good. Whether I believe it or I want to believe it. I what? want to believe that he, he, he didn't kill himself and that he fecked off to Brazil or something. I'm, I'm going to go with the moon. I, okay, the, yeah. Brazil is so plausible. and You got me when you reminded me how many Nazis who were trying to flee the Nuremberg trials actually ended up in South America. Himmler as well, I think, went there originally. There must have been some statute of limitation, not statute of limitation, jurisdiction type thing or something that that's why they all went there. Yeah, and I think it's just appealing because it's geographically so far away. Yeah. No, I'm going to buy you. Going to get in on it. It sounds amazing. I'm going to buy the moon one. Let's go all (laughs) out. Hitler on the moon. What a great suggestion by Stephen. You'll have to tell him, um, ask him if if we did it justice. I hope so. I hope so. Oh, he also actually, way back, I just need to remind people of this, that our Hunter S. Thompson one, the Shavas is a whiskey, apparently. He also reminded me of that. Oh. <laughs> He's just way more cultured than we are. Shavas, it doesn't sound very whiskey-esque. It sounds like a wine, but apparently it's a whiskey. You'll have As to forgive us. very quick to remind me. <laughs> that just shows how intently he's listening. This so, is also you, true. There you go. I buy it. That is brilliant. Isn't it funny? It's pretty funny. It's so good, and it's a good, um, it's a good nod as well to Iron Sky. Have you watched that? I Brilliant it came movie. up in my research, and I was like, oh, Iron Sky. I haven't actually watched it myself. I'll throw it on. It's worth a watch. Is it? Yeah. Okay. It just solidifies everything you're saying. It's actually a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> like this is Spinal Tap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was fantastic, Karen. I really like that. And yeah, I'm gonna buy in. Nice. Glad that you're buying in. I hope uh, I hope anybody else listening buys into my wacky one too. Yeah, listen, uh chime in, let us know if you do. Yeah, absolutely. Any and all feedback is much appreciated. Absolutely. So that's gonna be a tough one to follow, Karen. Okay. Well you might be softened by the fact that I'm following it with a complete tribute to your good self what yeah i was absolutely blown away last week by your beatles one okay so i was like oh that's good and bizarre i've done a few of the drier ones recently so i'm gonna go bizarre as well i love it so i thought back in my mind's eye to something i'd only heard of in passing i would say a good 14 years ago maybe even 15 years ago. So I had to do a lot of searching to make sure this existed and I didn't make it up. Mm. But also be kind because I'm doing my first ever pop culture episode. Ooh, mixing it up. I like it. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to see if I do your signature um, (laughs) any justice. (laughs) So last week, Karen, you convinced us that the Beatles aren't real. Yep. So, how would you feel if I told you Pete Doherty is also fake? Oh, I feel really good. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to imagine that whole thing, yeah. (laughs) That was just a hallucination. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite a hallucination, but actually a piece of uh, satire mixed with concept art that we were all unwitting participants in. All right. So I'll start you off with my sources. It's, but because it's Pete Darty, my sources are obviously NME, mm-hmm. BBC News, okay. The Guardian, Gawker.com, and Oh No They Didn't Live Journal. Nice. So I'll give you some background because I think Pete Darty is a bit of an anomaly in that I've no proof of this, but I get the feeling that if you're even slightly older or slightly younger than ourselves, you may never have heard of Pete Doherty. 
like what what is your experience were you a fan I just I just feel like he came out of nowhere and then like all of a sudden he was he was a big thing I remember reading this story a few years ago I think it was the Daily Mirror did like an expose on him and his his drug use and stuff because he am I thinking this right did he go out with Kate Moss at one stage that's the one, yep. Yeah, That's yeah, probably yeah. what he's most famous for. Yeah, that was the thing that they, they like they were like she, he like he's a big drug addict and he like does heroin in the studio and blah 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 blah. So that's what I I'd, I'd, I'd known about him. I was like, I don't know who this guy is. And then I think it kind of coincided with like the release of a, an album with the Libertines and then he tried to make it on his own. So I just I just feel like I woke up one day and he was there. Well that's that actually matches in very well with what I'm going to tell you about him. Because okay. for all intents and purposes, he did kind of appear out of nowhere. And I'm going to prove to you that the reason he appeared out of, out of nowhere was because he was invented as a fully formed adult. Oh my God. But to oh, get really? to that, we'll go, <laughs> we'll go right back to the start. So he was born in Hexham, Northumberland in 1979 to a military family. And because he was born into a military family, he spent most of his childhood moving from army barrack to army barrack. But his lyrical talent became apparent when he was 16 and allegedly won a poetry contest, t- contest for which the prize was a tour across Russia, of all places, backed by the British Council. Mm. So following this, he built more and more on his lyric writing abilities and moved to London at 18 where he attended college for one year and met classmate Carl Barris with whom he started the Libertines in the late 1990s. Now the band gained a cult following while they were playing a string of massively successful very exclusive gigs around the London scene but they were catapulted into mainstream fame with the release of their 2002 debut album Up the Bracket. Now Doherty was at the forefront. Doherty was at the forefront of the band's fame, with some fans claiming he was the most important songwriter of his generation. But pretty much stretch yeah. there, guys. Oh, excellent! <laughs> Just say that because that will come up later as well. Ooh. So, while his fans were saying this, he quickly became more well known for his controversial drug use which uh, started causing issues very early into the band's career. And in 2003, he was even jailed for two months because he burgled um, Carl Barrett's flat. Oh, no. Yeah, pretty grim times. Very, very grim. So the pair made amends while he was in prison. And on his release, they began work on their second album. But during post-production, the band once again split due to Doherty's drug use. They did reunite a number of times over the years for one-off gigs and tours. But mainly from then, Doherty formed Baby Shambles, who had a much longer career. They played together from 2005 to around 2013. He also met Kate Kate Moss, who is a famous model, in case you don't know in 2005 and famously dated her on and off including a short-lived engagement before they broke up in 2007 felt much longer at the time felt like a very long time for all of us yeah we were all involved in that relationship (laughs) dear god it's never ending (laughs) just break up (laughs) but um so Doherty now still records new music and collaborates with other artists and he currently owns and appears to, although I'm not completely sure of this, live in a hotel in the seaside town of Margate in, te- in Kent. Mm, okay. Or does he, Karen? I don't know, man. <laughs> well, let me tell you that according to this, no, he is not. In early 2006, a controversial email was circulated around the British press. And it starts with a bold eye-catching statement that I'm going to read out to you now. So, the Samaritans have today recruited 600 extra staff to deal with an expected surge in calls as troubled fans come to terms with today's revelations about rocker and teen icon Pete Doherty. In a surprise press conference today, the men behind Doherty's career revealed themselves and admitted that the Libertines 
Baby Shambles, The Tales of Drug Use, The Armed Robberies and The Affair with Supermodel Kate Moss have all been part of one of the largest hoaxes in British history. What? Huge. This is huge. Huge. <laughs> as, as Donny T would say, huge. Yeah, huge. Bigger than anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it gets even more kind of off the wall. As I tell you a little bit about the artists behind us. So the guys who take credit for the concept of Pete Darty are Bill Drummond and Jim Cauty, who are also known as the band KLF. Have you ever heard mm. of these guys? I don't think I have. I hadn't either, but we should have. For okay. our interest in all of things bizarre and strange, they are right up our street. They were a British electronic band formed in London in 1987. But they quickly became more well known for their efforts to subverse the art world rather than their actual music. So let me tell you a little bit about their stunts and their art pieces. Okay. So one of their most famous ones was holding an event in a boathouse where they burnt a million pounds sterling. They staged an alternative art award for the worst artist of the year and even presented it to the <laughs> artist. <laughs> I Amazing. hope we win the, the like podcast version of that. <laughs> well, no, hang on, we're gonna win like the best podcast award first. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we're thinking we're thinking big. It's all about Prime Conavan. It's all That's about Crime Con. Twenty twenty one. It's our year. <laughs> <laughs> when we're all allowed to leave the house again. If we're all allowed to leave the house again. <laughs> If I don't laugh, I'll cry. We'll <laughs> <laughs> go to the conferences over Zoom. That's yeah, we can totally Zoom in. That'll be no bother. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Zoom in. I just got that. That must hey. be what it's from. <laughs> it must be, isn't it? <laughs> I'd say so. But if not, I'm like... just trademarking it now. So. Yeah. <laughs> Buy them out. You can do so much more with them. <laughs> exactly. So another one was at one of their own gigs, which is the first mention of any gigs or music so far, was mm. they fired machine gun blanks into an audience. Oh my God. And at the after show, dumped a dead sheep carcass at the party. Why? Oh, I don't know. It's all ours. I don't really get most ours. Yeah, I don't get this ours. No. no. <laughs> this is that kind of like interactive ours that could be anything. But this piece that we're talking about right now seems to be like years and years long hoax. And they even admit that their Pete Doherty idea was meant to be a quick stunt that showed the frailties of our celebrity obsessed culture. But obviously just completely spiralled out of control. I mean, mission accomplished, like, really. (laughs) Yeah, but this kind of... uh, suggests that it was meant to take like maybe a year max and then they'd come out and then it was obviously just got so big and out of control yeah wow okay this is this is man interesting so it started when they found an obscure buddy holly impersonator named trevor mcdermott and how they found him was they were out one night and mcdermott stumbled up to them absolutely blind drunk and kind of just started entertaining them with his shenanigans so they had a flash of inspiration could they pluck a troubled nobody from obscurity and curate him into a star yes (laughs) (laughs) evidently yes (laughs) so drummond and Cauty explained i don't even think i'm saying his name right but um they explained that The plan involved proving three theories that they had about current, at the time, British society. So the first was that so-called alternative scene in London uh, involves everyone being too scared of missing the next big thing to worry about anything else. Okay. And this get like, then... Let's say at this point, like to give anyone an idea who wasn't following this kind of music at the time, that was very much the case. Like if you watch the Mighty Boucheran thing, they even um, satirise us with Noel Fielding's character just jumping into more and more insane bandwagons. Yeah, yeah. 
So it was very, like all pop culture is kind of superficial, but that was really the main mantra of this scene. Okay. So the fact that everyone was too caught up in seeing the next big thing gave them the freedom to hire session musicians to make up the rest of the band. And they didn't even have to worry about being found out. So remember the gigs that I mentioned at the start that were really successful and really uh, exclusive? Yeah. So all they had to do was leak rumours of the band's infamous first gigs to the media. And KLF claims that the gigs in question never actually took place. But we didn't have to worry about that. Soon the buzz around the Libertines was so frenetic, journalists were falling over themselves to claim to have been at the front of every single fictional gig. Oh my god. And remember, this isn't a time of pics where it didn't happen. Yeah. There wasn't even much social media. You could have very well been at that gig, write a little undercover uh, story about it and not have any photographic evidence. Yeah, and stuff like that, particularly in like the scene and stuff, any kind of scene, but particularly like the London scene. Yeah, you you would like rumors like that would spread like wildfire. Absolutely, absolutely. It just grew legs by itself. They did, they claimed they didn't have to do any more work after that. I'd kind of be inclined to believe that though, for sure. Yeah, it seems very plausible. So with the Libertines now catapulted into fame, the KLF could move on to executing their next theory. And this is their quote. We feel that our culture has become an enormous soap opera. We don't care what a person thinks or creates or contributes. We just care about what they do in their normal lives, especially when it's something they shouldn't be doing. So to demonstrate this, they orchestrated a number of scandals, including, most importantly, the famous burglary of Barat's house that I mentioned earlier. Oh, wow. Okay. And this was extremely successful, since before now he was virtually unknown outside of magazines like Q and NME. Yeah. But once a drug-fueled robbery, which all sounds very juicy and salacious, took place, Doherty was front page of every major national tabloid. Oh my god. So considering his peak A-list status when he began dating model uh, Kate Moss, you yeah. could be forgiven for believing that that was part of the stunt. Wow, okay. But KLF actually claimed that that was a really happy coincidence. <laughs> so <laughs> their quote is, that was not something that we planned or had any involvement. Whether she knew about the hoax is something we are not party to. We she did not know about the hoax. Good way. I, <laughs> I have a different theory. Okay. My theory is that Moss did know about the scam and made the relationship with the otherwise cult musician much more tantalising. Mm. Okay, other- okay. Otherwise, like, who was he? Yes, he was a singer in a band, but... But she could have just been convinced as well. She could have just been like, oh, he's the latest hot thing right now. Great. Just as easily, yeah, but chicken or the egg, Karen... Did he become the next big hot thing after he started dating one of the most famous supermodels? Yeah, I know what you mean. So it's hard to say. That's just a little so. <clears throat> that's just a little subplot that I, okay. a sub theory that I have. Okay, maybe. So then we move on to the third theory, mm-hmm. or the third part of the plan, which was their their third part that they suggested was. If enough, <laughs> if enough people say that a turd is a bar of gold, we'll believe it's a bar of gold. And, <laughs> and that was meant to be proven by the Baby Shambles' first album. But Doherty slash McDermott threw a spanner in the, in the works and demanded that they part ways so that he could continue to be a legitimate recording artist. Hmm... <clears throat> and that is kind of where it ends. So what they claimed then was that they were locked in a legal battle, but that they settled outside of course for reasons that were just as tongue-in-cheek as their first statements, that they found a video of McDermott playing Peggy Sue, a yes. Woody Hodgson song, in um, 
uh, resort in Devon. And that because of this, McDermott settled outside of course. So they could actually release this fact, but that he still denies it to this day. Oh, that was good. So I have a few little bits of evidence. I mean, they're not so much evidence as kind of my own take on it. Mm-hmm. So the legitimacy of KLF. In a lot of these theories, they're called notorious pranksters. But they had followed through on every other experiment. Like when they claimed they were going to burn a million dollars or a million pounds, rather, they did burn a million pounds. So, yes, the prank was them inventing this singer, but not the email itself. And now my next one's a bit controversial, right? Okay. Pete Doherty, next big thing, huge voice for generation at the time. But actually not talented enough to be as influential as he was. Right. Like, like we were saying earlier, his music has not actually left a dent beyond those years. I don't think I can name a single song. That's the thing. This is something that I found really interesting because I was a fan of the Libertines. So I couldn't speak about this subjectively. Mm. But I don't think if you weren't a fan that you could name a single song. No, like, did they, they top any charts? The indie chart or anything? I, I wouldn't have that information to hand, but even now, like, if there was a montage of something happening in that year, it's not like there's ever a libertine song playing over that montage. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, and as I said to you, like, I just didn't know it at all. And maybe because I didn't listen to a lot of that style of music back then. But like, like back around the time they would have first come, come out or whatever. But the first thing or iteration that I saw was this huge article. And I ended up reading it in, in the mirror because I just thought it was mad interesting. Um, of like, yeah, Doherty and like, you know, he, he was made out to be this horrible person that was like, you know, forcing people to do heroin and dating Kate Moss and stuff. So that's, yeah. I Absolutely. Just, like the music to me was always secondary to him and his behaviour and his carrying on like. It definitely was. There wasn't much about the music at all. What he's mainly known for is drug use, which is quite sad. And mm. then his relationship with Kate, uh, Kate Moss. And his drug use actually leads me on to my next uh, suggestion, which is that when you look back on this time, so it wasn't the polished sanitized version of addiction that the media often tries to portray Mm. in artists it was very visceral and very real like there's nothing glamorous really about robbing your bandmates flat no and lots of articles have suggested that if he was really this person he probably like he's still alive today and would that be the case like, would he not have gone the same way as Amy Winehouse, who was his peer? Yeah. And then the bit that I look at, which really bothers me, because I went on a deep dive, <laughs> is that there's no evidence of this council-approved poetry contest that he so famously oh, won when he was 16. No way! Now it possibly happened, and there's just no record of it easily accessible online but it sounds very strange to me why would the British Council commission this and fund a Russian tour for a 16 year old yeah I don't know that yeah that like that's bizarre in and of itself yeah the prize is just so strange that is crazy and then lastly the bit I'll leave you on is Mm. Is it that strange of a scam? Is it that outlandish to claim that someone could have curated this character when we know that this exact thing has happened? Have you heard of JT Leroy? Heard, yeah. So JT Leroy, I won't get too much into it, is pretty much the exact same thing. This writer invented the concept of um, this character who was supposedly 
lived a very hard life, um, born to a sex worker, worked themselves at truck stops, but won loads of awards um, with and really schmoozed a lot of really famous people, I think in the early 90s, like um, palled around with Courtney Love and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the writer herself, I don't remember her real name, just threw a wig and a hat and a pair of sunglasses on this random girl. Oh my gosh. So that is much more, and got away with it for years. Wow, that is, that's mad. That is just... So much more outlandish than what we're claiming Doherty did here. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it is. No, you're right, though. I think it is plausible because, like, you know, stuff like this has happened before, with, particularly with high kind of concept art, um, like all that kind of stuff, you know. And I, I see, like, not on the, to the same extent, but I've seen that, like, a few times just, like, scrolling to Twitter or, like, on Facebook and stuff. It's, like, these people dress up like famous celebrities and, like, go to a shopping centre. And they have everybody in the shopping centre convinced that it's, like, Billie Eilish or, like, some kind of famous rapper. Do you know what right, I mean? Right, that's the thing, kind of a lookalike thing. And I suppose that's what supposedly Trevor McDermott was famous for in the first place. He was a lookalike. This is it. I would, I actually, I'm, I'm fully in this with you, Ivan. I fully believe this is this is a thing that happened. I, I like the idea of it anyway, especially yeah. as a mirror being held up to those years. Because it worked. Because, like, they absolutely, like, if, if it t- turns out to be true, in my opinion, it absolutely worked. Absolutely. You know, delighted I have you converted. Oh, fully! I am fully in this with you, completely. Perfect. Oh, that's two for two this week. Brilliant. Two for two. We'll have to stick an old poll up on Instagram and see what our our fans and our listeners think as well. Um, yeah. Also, by the way, that photo that I put up was Billy Shears, the Paul McCartney lookalike. It wasn't. Oh yes, good that... guesses though. We got some really good guesses actually, which was really good. Um. So, but that's that's what we were going for with Billy Shears. But we'll we'll have a poll up. I've also sent some hilarious photos to you, Ivan, which you will enjoy. To, oh, brilliant! To, to peruse and <laughs> maybe upload onto the social medias as well. So, guys, as always, we are the Conspiracy Theory Test at Conspiracy Test on Twitter, the Conspiracy Theory Test on Instagram, and you can listen to us on Acaster, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Ivan, I always forget to. Uh, pocket casts and overcast thank you very much it's always those two that i forget as well <laughs> i've got to start giving them some love and fairness exactly <laughs> um listen wherever you can and whenever you can any feedback is greatly appreciated the conspiracy theory test at gmail.com if you want to email in with some suggestions they're always welcome and as you can tell we will definitely take them on board and maybe even cover them uh and we're nearly out of this lockdown hopefully so uh, in the meantime stay safe and stay well and uh stay weird Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great week. See you later, Ivan. See you later, Karen. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.